um, where he used the cutlass, almost slashing my right thumb. The truth is that women have the issue here. Even when they're going through pain and bleeding, they still want to stay in that thing because they think marriage is an achievement. For better, for worse, they say, does it mean to endure the beatings and abuse? Which is better? To live in a body bag or to live a life? Well, let us listen to the tale of a brutal domestic abuse survivor. My name is Lilian Ogazi and this is The Bearing coming to you from Daily Trust. In this episode, we're looking at the tale of a woman who survived domestic violence in the hands of her husband for seven years. The bliss of getting married to the love of your life one whom you plan to grow old with and create a family with is usually the goal of most newlywed. The flowers, romantic songs, honeymoon, and waking up beside the person that makes your heart beat faster than normal is a feeling compared to none. An experience every newlywed married is expected to have. But of late, it seems like the fairy tale of a perfect marriage is changing as cases of domestic violence and abuse have become the order of the day. In the past few weeks, the social media space has seen people speaking up more in cases of domestic violence. The most popular was the case of Bimbo, a Lagos-based socialite who lost her life in an abusive marriage, and the late gospel singer who also lost her life due to domestic violence. How do women find themselves in marriage that was once seemingly perfect to one marred by daily beatings? Miss Grace David had the courage to run from an abusive marriage and is alive today to tell her story. Let's listen to her. I would say it was it was like a nightmare because I had gone in for a totally different thing and then I had to face something that was on the extreme. The man I had married for love seemingly had changed overnight into a monster and um, at first I kept it to myself because of the, the shame that such shouldn't happen to you. I mean before I got married I was cancelling other people, you know, people, single people who ever came married and even married. So I was so sure that I wasn't even going to smell anything remotely close. But that it turned out I became a victim myself. Okay, so how long were you in this marriage and at what point did the violence start? It started almost immediately. Um, if you if you say violence, I, I would like to start with words. The words were heavy in themselves. It started right from the reception, the, the ven- uh, uh, wedding reception. The man I had married, you know, embarrassed me publicly so that, um, it, I mean, it was so bad that when we got to, when we came back from the reception venue, we were supposed to take some pictures, but I had cried so much that my eyes were puffy and I didn't want to take any pictures. But then he had to threaten me. 
That was what he said. I mean, he did ask, uh, tell me that he was going to tear the wedding certificate and in less than three days, I was going to another woman in his house. That was what made me to, you know, with my puffy eyes, I had to take the pictures, which was a constant reminder of the sad beginning. You know, so there was no honeymoon as it were because the pain started almost immediately. How long did this last? How long did you experience this? Well, like I said, since it started from the very wedding day, it's lasted for the entirety of the, the marriage, which was a few months shy of seven years. It wasn't completely seven years, maybe three or four months. Okay, you yeah. said it started verbally. Did it get physical at some point? Oh, definitely. Right now I have scars on my body. I have I have uh, my left hand. I have a wound um, where he used the cutlass, almost slashing my right thumb. From the rest of the fingers, I have a scar on my face, and there's there's a particular thing that um, although we've been divorced for close to 20 years, mm. I've not been able to recover from the trauma. Um, some of the violence happened in the car while we're coming back from church or from other places, so I had to, you know, unconsciously lift my left shoulder, you know, in a protective stance, like somebody is going to hit you, and then you just kind of uh, try to dodge it. Anytime I'm in a car and a man is driving, even if it's a public uh, transportation, I just see myself lifting my left shoulders and I'm not even aware until I begin to feel the pain. So this, uh, it was so bad that, um, you know, he, he called me names and all sorts of things. So much that when it comes to um, having um, sexual relations, I felt... I felt repulsed when he touched me and that made him keep a cutlass under the bed, you know, to, to threaten me, which he actually used on one of the occasions. And then when I went to the sick bay of the university where both of us worked the following day, um, while I was still on the queue to, to be attended to, he came there and attacked me in the open and I had to run for my life. That very night, of course, uh, when he attacked me with a cutlass, I didn't sleep in the house because he threw my things out into the cold. I remember it happened in February and the weather was really cold. So the violence was all sorts. It was sexual, it was physical, it was financial, you know. There were, there were times that um, I remember a particular day that he packed all my stuff, all my clothes, and placed them in the car, in the back of the car, not in the boots. They were not in in a, uh, in a box. Mm. It was on a Sunday, and then we went to church, and everybody saw it, you understand. The church were attacking them because of the violence. Um, both of us were excommunicated from the choir, you know. That's what one of the Orthodox churches practices. Well, it got so bad that um, even when we're in church, we'd be talking, you know, talking out loud as for a shame, and the shame was so much. But you know what Africans say? Stay there for the sake of your children. At the time, I had to leave. I couldn't uh, stomach it anymore. I just gave myself a time. I said, if this thing continues again, then I'm leaving. Because I couldn't myself spending the rest of my life in this kind of situation. Even the children became afraid. As at that time, we had three children, two lovely boys and a girl. And then 
you know, there was a time he said I I hurt him with my nails while he was uh, struggling to be intimate with me. And the following day, while I was getting my son off of school, I actually brought a razor blade, asking him to stretch forth my hand so he could cut me. I remember I was wearing uh, socks for my son when he came and the boy kept moving back his leg because he was scared. Of course, we were both Christians. The church was involved, you know, like I said earlier, but he didn't help at all. At all. And so, so eventually had to leave. So at that point where you left, what really pushed you to leave? Because we've seen women who go through these and they still stay and pray for something positive. First of all, I'm so proud that you were able to walk out of it. You were able to see the light and you left for the sake of your children and your own safety. So at what point did you summon up the courage and say, you know what, I am actually really done with this? Well, thank you for the question. Um, well, it was like it was happening every time. It was happening every time and I felt there was no respite. Church had spoken to us, friends and relatives had spoken to us, even his uh, own brother. I remember then his brothers, his older brother's wife, had to come from the sea to take the cutlass from under the bed. You can imagine what that means. Each time you, you lay down to sleep, you are afraid that um, these cutlass might be used on you. So when I saw that all efforts had been made from every angle and there was no solution in sight, I just told myself that. If I didn't want to die, I had to leave. And then I heard of stories of um, uh, women who stayed for their children and ended up dying. And then maybe the man would mount the children later that uh, something else killed the mother or, you know. So I said, so if these children don't, don't know, they don't have a mother in the future, what am I here for? Because for someone using a cutlass on you, that means the person did not have any good feeling or plans for you. It were just ill feelings, you know. Yeah. Hmm. No one deserves to go through what Grace did because of love and marriage. Hidden beneath a blanket of silence are millions of people all over the world writhing in pains of abusive relationships. Leave before he kills you, people would say. But the victims end up staying for as long as seven years or more, enduring and hoping for a change, just like Grace did. What made Grace David stay for seven years in an abusive marriage that started right from her wedding reception? Let's get back to our conversation with Grace. Well, you know, human beings, we believe that things will always be better. We say as long as there's life, things can change. Even as much as I've heard of, um, I had heard of um, bad stories, I also heard good things, stories uh, of men who stay that way and the husband changed. Hoping, and the children were little, you understand. Mm. So I was really hoping that things would change. But when the church became very involved, very well-meaning people became involved and families got involved. In fact, it was so bad that my own mom had to come and kneel down in front of him. She held me and both of us knelt down in front of him. In an African setting, that's like an abomination for your mother-in-law mm. to be kneeling down for you. But he, he wasn't moved. He wasn't faced at all. In fact, I remember he was just like yesterday. He was smiling, you know, smiling. And then I just told myself, I put twice together. There was no change. There didn't seem to be any prospect of a change. And that was when I left. Yes. Okay, so has he always been like that through the courting period? Or it wasn't. Did, you, did, you, did you see any sign? It wasn't at all. In fact, I remember he, he called me one day while we were courting and told me that this was what his dad did and he wasn't ever going to do such a thing. But to my chagrin, he did more than 
of what his father did. And did he, so, did he at some point tell you why he treated you that way through the course of it? No, he didn't. And from what I know, he's still like that, even with the other woman in his life. I've not seen any changes after 20 years. How are the kids faring? Oh, thank God. I, I, I thank God for for them, for, for that. Um, Of course, one of my kids was really angry one time, asking if I had to leave. But now they are seeing the light. They can see things for themselves. So God has really helped them. One thing I'm very grateful for is that even with the way he treated me, he, he catered for the children's education. He didn't always show them love. Right now, I'm not sure that when they think of a father, I don't think they see a good um, picture of a father in him. But the educational aspect was covered, and that means uh, very much to me. So I'm really grateful to go for that, and I'm thankful that I'm alive. Yeah. So what's your word out there to women who are in the same situation but don't have the courage? You know, you had the courage. You were able to, you know, stand up for yourself and say, you know what, I think I want to be alive to raise my kids. I don't want my kids to be raised by a different woman. I don't want my kids to hear a different story about why they lost their mom. So what, what's your word out there to women who are in the same situation but don't have the courage to do what you did? Well, everybody has a choice. You, you always weigh your options. Um, I would say that the, the, the beginning should be from the courtship because now I can say that I actually saw some things, some red flags. Well, I didn't think it could happen to me. So prevention is better than cure. It would be better not to go in. But if you're already in, you weigh your options. Um, for me, the Bible says that a living dog is better than death. It's even better for your children to be angry with you than you left and you are alive than for them to die. So, I mean, for you to die. So the, 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 my advice to them is to leave as early as possible. But if they choose not to leave and they have an experience like a famous uh, uh, gospel musician that happened not too long ago, well, yeah. everybody has a choice. But my, my advice is stay alive, choose life, and then you can make other choices to help your children because you can't speak from the grave. You can't be a mother to your children from the grave. Well, you were able to live with your children, right? I wasn't. So they are not. I wasn't. They are not with you. No, they are not with me. But thankfully, they are all grown up. So that question is mute, as it were. But he used them as a weapon. Even though we went to court, I didn't free access to the children. He poisoned them. You know, all kinds of ugly situations. But I'm thankful to God that that is over now. That was Grace David, a survivor of domestic violence, there narrating her ordeal. At what point does domestic abuse become the order of the day in marriages? After the break, we would find out. Do stay. and impactful stories of the day treated inside out with in-depth analysis to give you insight into the issues that matter the issue of injustice needs to be addressed we're going into hell why are you sending your child why are you are you that poor are you that hungry no we are not practicing any democracy in nigeria they don't deal with us well well trust us on nigeria daily a daily podcast from daily tracks to bring to you the news behind the news so listen in, log into our website at dailytrust.com or on bossprout.com. You can also listen in on Spotify and TuneIn Radio. Follow up on Instagram and Twitter at Daily Trust and on Facebook at Daily Trust. 
are welcome back. This is The Bearing coming to you from Daily Trust. In this episode, we're looking at domestic violence in marriages. Before we went on break, we had a chat with Grace David, a survivor of domestic violence, who told us how her husband beat her with a machete for almost seven years of marriage and how she escaped the clause of his constant abuse. A popular street quote says you should know a man when he has money and when he doesn't. His true character is defined by both points of his life. But I believe you truly can never know anyone completely. But just like Grace, her husband turned out to be the opposite of what he said he would be. She saw no signs and no red flags. At what point does a marriage get to and it gets marred by violence? What do marriage counselors advise couples who are experiencing domestic violence to do? Bisola Fatoye puts these questions and more to a marriage counselor who is also a psychologist. Okay, my name is Jeff Oluwagbemiga. I'm a psychologist and I prefer to be called Coach Jeff and I'm specialized in the family situation. That's the area of my interest. It is possible that if uh, the values, values of the husband and the wife keep clashing at every point in time, it's not to violence. Because people don't fight. It is their values that clashes. When your value clashes, then because you want to protect a value that you have that has been ingrained in you, and after a while you can't take it again when someone keeps stamping on that value, whatever thing that value is, you can resort into violence. Or you know, I say that people resort into violence, not that they should, but that's always the way to express it. Uh, when people have influence complex, if a, if a particular party has influence complex, and the other one has not been able to manage that and he or she keeps flaunting her own strengths or his own strengths. Uh, the only way this person could respond is to first of all start by blackmailing, emotional blackmail, and after that he or she might resort into using violence. And um, at the point when someone couldn't, isn't able to take it any longer, he or she might have tried verbal, he or she might have tried emotional but it gets to a point that someone can decide to uh, uh, use violence. Violence can come in any form. So it depends on people. But it's always when the values keep clashing and then no, neither of them has been able to be emotionally intelligent enough to step back and, uh, and address the issue in a matured way. Then let me also say this, that um, a lot of time when people do not sit down to have a discussion, I mean, any discussion on issues, it could result to assumptions. And those assumptions can pile up over the weeks, over the months, over the years, and then somebody is getting angry, but bottling it for whatever reason. One is getting angry, expressing it, because that's how he or she knows how to express it. At a point, the one that have been keeping quiet for some time might also decide to do something. And most of the time, people are very quiet when they want to express their anger. It's always come with violence. So it depends on people and their personality dispositions. Okay. So you spoke about couples being matured enough to sit down and um, handle Talk their and issues discuss. in a matured way. Yes. So in a situation where a couple have experience of domestic violence, maybe it's happened once, it's happened twice, do you think there's a point of going back? Is there something that can be done for them to sit down and look at what is wrong and see how they can overcome that trouble as a family. All right. If it has happened a few times before, the two of them might not be able to sit down to talk peace, I mean, peaceably. So if they sit down to talk without a third party who is probably a professional, marriage counselor, a therapist, or a family coach, 
or someone who could help them mediate the issue, there's going to be a problem because each person is going to be defending his or her own territory. So unless both of them are very mature, or at least one person there decide to keep quiet and soak in all the pressure and then decide to bring out his or her own point without fingerpointing. Because sometimes we don't address issues, we address the person. Meaning you call the person name instead of separating the person from the issue. What we train people to do in communication in marriage or communication generally is separate the issue from the person. So if you are able to undo the issue without using derogatory words at the other at the person who has done the thing, it's easier for mediation to take place than than when you are you are you have joined the issue with the person. So you are more or less assaulting the person verbally, and then the issue now becomes a no issue then the, the pressure or the whole attention is on the personality. And when you accuse anybody uh, uh, personally, the person does not even see, it does not have uh, probably a sense of remorse so to say, the person now decides to become defensive. So as you are saying, it's like you are attacking and I'm defensive. And like that, they can't get And that's why they will need either a counselor or a therapist to stay in between them and help them pick the issues one after the other. And then we also address the personality okay. without hurting the person. Okay, so we've talked about how to solve the problem once you're ready in the marriage. How about red flags? What would you say are red flags that people should see in relationships before they get into the main deal, which is the marriage? What are red flags that people should see that you would say they should look out for in order to avoid mm. a case of domestic violence in marriage? Well, it varies from people to people. But I'll mention a few ones that I think is general. Number one, if you have a partner who has who does not respect anybody, who has no mentor, uh, he doesn't have someone who's accountable to, let me use the word, then that's a problem. That's a red flag. If he's not accountable to anybody, it's going to be a problem because the day will come in the life of everybody that you need to be accountable for to someone who can who can direct you or guide you. Wisdom doesn't have a wisdom keeps going. Now, if you have someone who 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 to have answer to all questions, <laughs> that might look strange. But there's people that have answer. People do more have answer to it. That answer is the best answer in the world. It's not about brilliance. It's about arrogance. We look at it closely. That's a red flag. Meaning that that this person believes that he knows about your life. He knows your future. He can plan it for you without you being involved. I've met a lot of especially like that. Then for some people. Uh, they think cheating is a red flag. Well, say my experience working with people, <laughs> some, don't, some people don't even mind the cheating. They say as long as it's uh, doing its duty towards me, I don't care. So that I will, I may not put that as a red flag. But the first one I mentioned is someone who has nobody is accountable to, and someone who seems to have answer to every question. He's always don't worry, I have answer, I have answer. He has never in his life said, okay, let me listen to you, let me know, let me see if you have a better opinion. If he thinks he knows everything, that's arrogance. Okay. I think those are the two I just want to mention. So what would you say right. to people that are currently in marriages where they are domestically violated? What advice would you have for them? I cancel. Canceling means I will be I will help you see all the options. Then you go home, all the information are given to you, look at the option that is the best to take for you. No matter the decision you are going to take, there are always pros and cons to every decision. I have I've been involved in a whole lot of men and women marriages who are involved in, in violence, domestic, in crazy ones. 
but they want to stay. They want to see the same. Their, their religion does not permit them. Their church is doing this. So I in situation, I won't cancer. They will go and make their decision. Some of these people will come back years after to come and complain. A woman recently told somebody, somebody that uh, if she had taken the advice I gave her in 2000 and 2013, that I can't go remember. Now, she's not saying 2022. That if she had taken the counsel I gave her 2013, that her life would have been better. So that means she didn't take the advice. She didn't take the counsel, rather. So it's not situation, situation specific. We can't say you are going to the situation according to these things around you, and then you go ahead and take your own decision. But for some people, separation might be the best. But separation is actually uh, a cut across. Separation means we're going to separate for the number of days, the number of months. It's always good to have it structured. That's what I advocate. Okay, let's do three months. In that three months, we're going to have an intervention. We have a counseling process that's going on for both of you. And then maybe at middle of month two, we review it. So we have reviewed this thing. We have been on that lab for two months or something. What is the next? If that does not work, we extend it with another three months. But for some people, they are not even able to. I'm sorry to say this, but the truth is that women have the issue here. Even when they're going through pain and bleeding, they still want to stay in that thing because they think marriage is an achievement. They think marriage validates them. So they want to sit in that pain. And I've seen. I've seen enough of those. So uh, people make have to make up their own mind. But my job as a professional is to help see the, 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 do a SWOT analysis of their marriage for them and ask them to go and take a decision. That was Coach Jeff Uluwa a marriage counselor and a psychologist, speaking. To anyone who feels trapped in an abusive marriage, please know that you can get out. It will not always be an easy road and it will be lonely at times, but it only gets better. Life is too beautiful to leave it trapped and abused and hiding under the shame of it all. God bless Nigeria. This is where we draw the curtain on this episode of The Bearing. Thank you so much for listening. A big thank you to everyone who contributed to making this program successful. The Bearing is a daily trust production and you can download this and other episodes on dailytrust.com, bossprouts.com, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio by simply searching for The Bearing. You can also listen on NAS FM 89.9 in Yola, Unity FM 93.3 in Jos, Padegi Radio 90.1 in Mina, Sawaba FM 104.9 in Hadeja. Remember that it is open for sponsorship and advert placement. So if you intend to sponsor an episode of The Bearing or if you have questions or comments or even suggestions of topics that you would like us to talk about, call us or send us a message via WhatsApp on 0913-893-3390. Or you can reach us via social media handles on Instagram and Twitter at daily underscore trust and on Facebook at daily trust. My name is Lilian Ogazi. Thank you for listening and bye for now.